Hello, my fellow Westorians. It is Tuesday. It is June 4th, and we are here to answer questions about anything and everything. We are calling it Anything Goes Q&A 2 Electric Boogaloo, which is a very old school reference. Patron Max Gecton says we should have called this since we're answering a wide variety of questions, Eclectic Boogaloo, and I have to agree with him. Perhaps we can combine that, Electric Eclectic Boogaloo. And say that 10 times fast. Well, so what does that mean? Where, does, where is electric boogaloo? What is that a reference to? I bet a lot of you have heard that. may not even know where it comes from. Well, I'll bore you for 30 seconds explaining it. <laughs> Back in the 80s, there was a, a bit of a phase where America was obsessed with breakdancing. And I was a young boy at that time. And I went to see this movie, Breakin'. And at the end of Breakin', they had planned so well. At the end of Breakin', in the credits, it said, watch out for Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, coming soon to a theater near you. Hey, it all rhymed really nicely like that. Actually, I don't know if it did, but they, they, they could have rhymed it nicely like that. So, yep, I was a, a young eight-year-old obsessed with breakdancing and really, really not talented at it whatsoever. So, <laughs> that's that. So we have a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of good questions have been sent to us already. And I know a lot of you guys will be adding more questions as we go. So I just have a few announcements. And then I'll mostly pepper the announcements throughout the episodes. They're not all crammed together at once. But I do want to give shout outs to our patrons who make this all possible. We've gotten a lot of new patrons over the last few weeks. And a lot of y'all are joining us for our Valar Reredis project. And a lot of y'all are catching up on our, on our old school catalog and our more middle school catalog. We've just been around for a while. We have an old school, a middle school, and a new school. All that, right? So thanks to our dragon riders who make that possible and to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, history of Westeros' first sword. So thanks to Talanis the Talon, king of Gagasos, rider of Talarius, the red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. Robert IV of House Ardeacor, burned king of Blazewater Bay, rider of Atroxus, a black dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers and a banded blue tail. And introducing Stephanie Snow, queen of the true north, crowned in Valyrian steel, rider of Commercus the bear dragon, shining in black with glittering gold horns, eyes and wings, with talons of icy blue. Yeah, that's a cool sounding dragon. So we also are going to be doing streams. This is our quote-unquote first Tuesday of the month stream. And we're also going to be doing a last Saturday of the month stream. However, this month it won't be the last Saturday because I will be at the Intelligent Speech Conference on June 29th. That's a Saturday. That's in New York City. So if you're in New York City or near it, come to the Intelligent Speech Conference and say hey to me. Uh, check out the panels and all the great guests they're going to have, which includes Mike Duncan of the History of Rome and Revolutions podcast. Also, David Crowther of the History of England, a bunch of other great podcasters, and uh, it's going to be a great time. It's only one day, so come can check that out. You can get 5% off your ticket price using the code Westeros. Can people expect to hear people speaking intelligently? I do think you can expect to hear people speaking intelligently. Uh, in my case, you will hear them speaking maybe semi-intelligently and very sillily. Uh, and making up words like sillily all along the way. So maybe you'll learn a new word. We have uh, a person here in the chat, the prince that wasn't promised, who said, Aziz, where is it? I want to come see you while you were here. Okay, well, you can go to intelligentspeechconference.com 
and learn all about it. Yeah, June 29th, New York City. Chelsea, New York, to be specific. And so the game stream, not the game stream, rather, but the Saturday stream this month will be instead on the 22nd. And that will feature Sean and some giveaways. Yes, we always we have a, a stash of cool goodies that we want to give to y'all. Uh, we, we, we get stuff here and there by uh, doing what we do, and we like to share. Uh, I did mention game streams by accident, but I do have an announcement with regard to that. We are resuming them this Friday, and pretty sure uh, I'm still debating it internally here with Ashea. I'm not really debating it, more like deciding. I'm pretty sure I don't want to go back on Twitch this time. Twitch wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It just kind of didn't do much for us to switch platforms. We may as well just kind of keep it simple, bring it back to YouTube. And since this game is campaign style, you know, we run a dynasty for as long as we want. We'll just run this dynasty, whatever it turns out to be. That's going to be part of the fun, by the way, is choosing which dynasty to run, whether we do Blackfire, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, whatever it's going to be. We'll run it for the length on YouTube. And then after that dynasty is complete, whenever we reach the end of that game, we'll reevaluate where we're going to be putting them. Um, So check that out if you are one of the people that likes to follow our game streams. First question. Start off with one from Lord Commander George the Golden. He says, would Game of Thrones have been as popular if it were on a platform like Netflix where all the episodes were released at once? Maybe my perspective of the fandom as a whole is skewed, but I think the ability to spend a whole week thinking about each episode and arguing about it with friends played a significant role in the interest of the show. I definitely agree. I think it still would have been popular, but as popular, no. I think the week-to-week, you know, people gathering, you know, the the phrase that's used is water cooler talk and of course people don't really gather around water coolers anymore but that what it's you know the phrase still has meaning and it's basically referring to hey everybody goes to back to work on monday and you talk about the thing you saw that you all saw and back in the day a lot of times that would be some big sporting event but nowadays we get cool things like game of thrones so, yeah, I, I think that's a great point that the week-to-week stuff matters a lot. We certainly benefited from that, having the live streams and getting to talk to you all about it. That's a huge thing. We couldn't have done that if it was all at once. Well, we could have, but it would have been weird. <laughs> we would have had to break it apart, talk about it at different times, You know, make our own kind of divisions on what parts to talk about. Different people would have already watched the whole thing, and we're just trying to talk about episode one. would have been a mess. It would have been fun, but it wouldn't have been nice and... Uh, segmented like it was this time. So and I got to think that would affect the popularity. And I wonder how much the executives on on shows uh, of the big networks think uh, how much that matters. Of course, they've got data on it that we're not privy to. I'm sure they have data on that. But what that data tells them, I have no idea. But I would be curious to see it. From uh, Lord, uh, from Lord Commander. I don't know why I said Lord Commander. Just from Lord Commander. No, actually... Let's take one from uh, Tommy Pappas here because it's sort of related. He says, if you could know the absolute total truth to one question, what question would you ask? Well, it probably wouldn't be what those network executives are thinking with regards to us not knowing uh, how much it matters to release a show week to week or not. But I I do have a lot of cool questions that I would want to ask. I I think I would want I think I want to kind of give a cop out answer on this one and say, I would like to know the total truth of what the next winning Powerball numbers would be. <laughs> because once I had that, I could learn a lot of other truths. Very, very certainly. Um, next question. 
is from Nina Friel. What event are you most interested to see in a future Dunk and Egg? Good question. Well, from things we know are coming in, let's say, well, what we think we know are coming. George had apparently started writing one called The Village Hero, which we think takes place in the Riverlands. It could involve the Brackens and the Blackwoods and all that. But we're really not sure. I would really love to see the battles in the north uh, with regard to the wildling invasion in uh, the um, time of Willem and Artos the Implacable. I really want to see the She-Wolves of Winterfell. Yeah, and that is, leading up to that, the She-Wolves of Winterfell is the book that presumably would deal with that because it is Baron Stark dying at the beginning of that. Actually, this would be a little after that. Baron Stark's death would have been around 213, two, or 211, 212. And so they would be going to the uh, north during the time the She-Worlds of Winterfell would be after that, when a lot of the Starks had died and the women were running things. And not long after that is when you have the time of Willem and Artos. So George may, uh, given this isn't written yet, if he decides to move it just a little bit, we would be right there. I also just, I just really want to see a lot of these old characters on screen. So that's not really an event. Um, of course, the third Blackfire Rebellion is not a single event, but if I can count that, if I can call cheat and say that, then I definitely want to see that. But I just really want to see some of these characters on screen. You know, I want to see, I want to see uh, Bittersteel, and I want to see more Bloodraven. We get to see a little of him, but you know, just a little. Shiera Seastar would be fantastic, uh, and a lot of you know the, the Starks of that time. Maybe we get to see. I really doubt we would get to see Dagon Greyjoy, but that would be pretty cool if we got to see him. All right, next question from Dornish Dan. In the books or the show, has Cersei ever said out loud to Jamie, I love you? Has he ever said, I love you to anyone at any time in the books or show? Well, we got this question not too long before we went live, so I didn't have time to fully research it, but I did have time to look it up. What's funny is multiple times they indicate that they love each other with the word love, but when they say, I love you too, sweet sister, or I love you too, there's, it's often mocking. Like, there's a couple times where Cersei says something kind of angrily to Jamie, and that's his response. I love you too, sweet sister. And I think Tyrion might even say that once. But <laughs> it's, uh, of course, it's sarcastic when he says it. And as far as saying I love you to her kids, though, that's an interesting one. I, I'm not sure. I think she does. But again, I didn't have full time to research it. I'm going to double check that for later. Dornish Dan also wants to know how important the cat theme is with cat as in Catelyn Stark and Arya catching the cats and becoming cat of the canals. Then there's shadow cats. Then there's our cats. Then Dornish Dan says he has a cat. Game of Thrones Academy used to have a cat. Used to have a cat. Uh Oh, and yeah, I mean, George loves cats. That's it's true. (laughs) In real life, he loves cats. It's not too big of a surprise they got in there. If you love his writing about cats, you really have to read Tough Voyaging, which features a lot of cats and people who have never seen a cat because they're humans that lived on other planets in the far-flung future where they don't have cats, are introduced to cats. There's lots of examples of this in Tough Voyaging. And it's funny every time because people are, what is this? This animal is rumbling. Or, you know, they, they, they freak out over cats. And, well, it's pretty funny. <laughs> From Thomas Pappas, if you had to change your name, what would your new name be and why? Well, let me tell you. Oh, Shay, it looks like she's ready. Yeah, I have an answer. I would change my name legally to something really, really generic like Jane Smith and just keep 
going by my name. <laughs> so you could really you could be fade into obscurity as yeah. far as the official. I wouldn't name. change my name. I like my name. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. And for me, well, let me say that I have two answers here. I have my full name is Abishai Aziz Aldori. So here I'm blurting out my full real name right after Shay is picking a uh, a hidden name. And AAA. Yeah, you make it kind of useless for me to do any trying of obscuring myself. <laughs> yeah, just look for me. Like, let me just put it all out there. Yeah, like, just look for me. Yeah. Let's find Shay. Oh. You just need to look for me. Yeah, it's oh, terrible. <laughs> I've given away the game. And being initials AAA, it really does. It really does give you a leg up in life. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's, just, it's not a big one, but it does matter. Well, definitely, there's been plenty of times where I have saved time by being first alphabetically. So just, you know, just to balance things out, I would have to change my name. I would invert my name. I don't know what Abishai backwards is, but Ziza Irudla would be my would be my uh, last name and first name backwards. I go Ziza Irudla. Yeah, it'd be Z-Y as my initials there. That's pretty far back. I think it should just be i think it should just be z z z <laughs> just z z z there is a person who did that apparently i once looked up for the heck of it i'm sure i had a reason at the time but maybe it was just because i wanted to look up silly things and it was the strangest names that are official real names that are recorded by like the u.s social security administration and there is apparently there's have been people who just because they hated the government or for whatever reason or because they hated their kid maybe gave them a really off awful 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 Awkward. I tried to say awful and awkward at the same time there. Uh, awful, awkward names to either mess with the government computers or to, again, to maybe mess with their kid. And there was someone that named their kid like 40 Z's was the name. And that's uh, <laughs> always last alphabetically. You got you to gotta have 41 Z's to come in behind that one. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty funny. And there's also some really ridiculous city names out there. There's like a there's a, a city that's got like 40 words as its name and the dash between every single one. And it's uh, something in, in Minnesota or something like that. Suzanne Beam said some old friends of hers named their daughter Chainsaw. <laughs> Chainsaw. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And uh, Penn Gillette named his daughter Moxie Crime Fighter Gillette. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> uh, Stephen Stark says Gaelic chronometer and sends a unicorn super sticker so gaelic chronometer gaelic chronometer gaelic chronometer that's not so bad <laughs> uh carl verhelst sends a couple of super chats without a question thank you for that carl thomas pappas also asked if you were an ironborn captain what would you name your boat well i've got a couple answers to this i think um uh, maybe i would name it whatever because whatever floats your boat and you want your boat to float but also, maybe I would call it smoke because of smoke on the water, you know, or along the same lines, call the boat Deep Purple or uh, just the smoking Kraken or the caffeinated Kraken. Yeah, I like the caffeinated Kraken. You have a boat name, Shaya? Um, I don't know. The relation. The relation? Yeah, the relationship. <laughs> I don't I yeah I don't know that, that that's my I first yeah something to do with that okay that's pretty good <laughs> I like that so I also want to announce that next month on Tuesdays we will return to fire and blood content that will be fun we haven't nearly finished that book we've done a lot of it but we definitely have some stuff left 
and it needs some good attention. But we couldn't, I didn't really have time to get it all ready for this Tuesday because we've been preparing our Valar Reredus project. So let me say a couple things about that. There's been in a couple episodes, we have one of them uh, in a kind of an explainer episode dropped on our ACAST feed, as well as the first actual Valar Reredus episode, which features the explanation for the whole thing as well as the first two chapters, which is the prologue to Game of Thrones and Brand 1. And so go check those out if you are interested. They're, the links for YouTube are semi-private. You can get them by going to our Facebook group or by going to our Flick group or by joining Patreon. So there's a couple of three different ways at least to do it. And we also have a, a Google Doc that's out there you can get access to through those other methods that have all the links to the episodes. And it's really fun. It's super awesome going back through the books again. And we're just getting started. And yeah, it's so fun to be doing this again and looking directly at the books. So much fun. So check that out if you are so inclined. Hmm. Also, a shout out to, if you see my shirt here, this is very cool. I've got a, yeah, I'll sit up more here. It's, uh, lift it up. Okay. Hmm. Yes. Oh, look at that. It's uh you got a werewood and you got a guitar here. But it right says it says Daryl Daryl Blake, the Mance Raider tribute. Ah oh, man, I just cannot speak. <laughs> but the important thing is it's Daryl with one R that yeah. I really wanted to get across. Daryl Blake of the Mance Raider and the Mance Raider tribute band. Yeah, they've got okay, a Okay, you had some out. trouble too. Yeah, we're all talking badly today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, check them out. It's all it's on Spotify. And uh, let's see. Next question from Dornish Dan. What's the airspeed of a raven with and without a coconut? Well, I got to say, ravens with coconuts actually fly faster because a raven with a coconut just can't wait to get it back to its nest to dip into that juicy, juicy milk. Actually, are there coconuts in Westeros? Probably not. But so this is this is a very much a, uh, a theoretical question. But really, they go so slowly without coconuts because they're just so sad that they don't have a coconut. It's really weird that they are the ones to choose, uh, that they've been chosen to send the messages around Westeros when there's faster birds that aren't so sad about lacking of coconuts. Huh. Chris Trombley asks, thoughts on a Lomas lighter? Lomas lighter? We really can't speak today. Thoughts on a Lomas Longstrider prequel show? Well, that's an interesting question. I would love to see that. He would be a really fun character to take us around to so many fantastical places. Problem is, I wonder, that sounds like it might be kind of an expensive show to make with all these cool, amazing places for him to travel to. I mean, to be fair, I want my Nymeria show, and that involves the same thing. Really, what I want out of a show is something that shows off the expansive regions throughout, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire. So... I mean, we get a glimpse of that with Daenerys, you know, in Game yeah. of Thrones. But the, 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 rich, the issue with all of that is they don't have all these sets and stuff built. Where if yeah. they have the wall already, they can reuse that, you know, and so on. They have That's places for King's Landing. They'll have to scout out a new place for all of the places that Lomas goes. And he goes to more places than Nymeria. Hmm. So it's tricky, but true, I want yeah. it very much. I want anything that has someone who travels around the world. Yeah, I guess the other th- issue with it is just, you know, you would he'd have to have some interesting party. You know, you couldn't just have him by himself, I think. You could have other people with him, but I mean, you could say that's a positive or a negative that, yeah. you know, that he doesn't have, uh, you know, his own real narrative or story. Hmm. 
or conflict or anything like that because that gives the writers something to work with like they can just do whatever they want yeah but you could also say that they won't know what to do which makes it less likely yeah good point yeah i would really i would be really awesome if they made such a show and we are working on a lemus longstrider episode i think i've said it before but i will say it again because it's probably been a while when we got the world of ice and fire we got our hands on it for the first time back in 2014 he is the first thing I started taking notes on, and we still haven't made an episode on him. But now is the time. Our patrons have picked it as uh, as in voted on it, so it is going to happen. And so I've dug back those old notes up and begun expanding on them, and that's going to be cool. Very, very cool. Also, speaking of that, speaking of patronage, we did hit our goal to do Jenny's song. I have been working on it, working on a couple of versions of it, not just a straight-up, you know, singer-songwriter version of uh, singing with guitar, which I am doing, but also a couple of other versions that I'm toying with. My, uh, We have a friend who's a uh, talented uh, producer-type guy who's going to help us with that. and making. So we'll uh, keep you all in, up to date on where that's headed and what the status on that is. Uh, Stephen Stark says, Ashea is the best, but Lomas is better than Nymeria. Don't hurt me. I... I mean, I personally think that a Nymeria show is better. Mm. But Lomas is really impressive, to be honest. Like, I mean, I, like, I, I, I would argue, and we could go back and forth. I think, I think that they're comparable. But in terms of a show, I just, I do really think that a Nymeria show is the better show. I think I might agree that that there's more characters and. You you have more adventures with the dragon lords coming to sack the Roin and yeah, it's, it's going a, it's to Sephora. It's a clear plot and story, but in terms of uh, you know where Lomas goes, I I would rather kind of follow and see the places he goes because I want to see the wonders of the world. Yeah, yeah, for so, real. So you know, it, it's a little closer for me than he might have thought. It's pretty. Yeah, it's a, it is a tough call. If we really had to pick, I don't know what I would pick. I would. I, we'll never have. to You pick. know what you would pick because <laughs> you would pick what I chose. <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> Tommy Papp has asked would you rather live the same day for 365 days or lose a year of your life it's sort of like a half groundhog day question and half uh, with a little turn to the morbid I suppose <laughs> lose the whole year I think I would rather live the same day for 365 Sweet's days it's a slam dunk yeah. of course you do that uh, you could do you live, who cares if you're living the same day if you're yourself living it and you know you're living the same day you could be very productive in that year, mm-hmm. it would be great. You wouldn't be, I, I don't know if you'd be aging or not, but regardless, it's better than just, okay, you, either way, you lose a year of your life and one way you're productive. I mean, you could, maybe you get stir crazy, but yeah. Yeah. And Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, it starts to be like expert at so many things. Yeah. And you, and, you, and if you know it's going to end, you wouldn't have that. You wouldn't necessarily go stir crazy because you know it's going to end. Whereas Bill Murray didn't know it was going to end. And uh, of course, Bill Murray is obviously our guide here <laughs> as he is in all things in life. What would Bill Murray do? <laughs> or whatever the name of his character was in, in Groundhog Day. By the way, if there's any chance you haven't seen Groundhog Day, really, really need to see that movie. It is a classic for a reason. It's really funny. Ned? Ned Ryerson? From Stannis Baratheon. Can you share your thoughts on Damon Targaryen as a character? It seems a lot of content creators find him lame and one-dimensional. I do not find him lame and one-dimensional. I don't think he's uh, a good guy either. I think he's an interesting character who is not someone to root for because he's a terrible person, (laughs) but interesting in that he's a parallel 
to a lot of other characters. Uh, he has bits of Jon Snow in him, even though I just called him terrible. He doesn't share those aspects with Jon Snow. He has a, a, you know similarities to uh, Damon Blackfire, his namesake, but also not personality-wise. And he has similarity to the Red Viper, and yes, personality-wise. And uh, I don't, yeah, so I don't, I don't know that he's one-dimensional, but he is not, maybe he doesn't have a lot of depth either, maybe? It might, that might be fair to say. I don't know. Sometimes, I mean, I really wonder about him and Nettles and that uh, at first I brushed past it and I've given it more and more thought, wondering about the depth there, so... Yeah. Uh, I like him more with that, I think. Yeah, and he, you know, he did some interesting things that weren't evil and terrifying and, and all they weren't all about ambition. You know, I guess maybe in the way he did them, they may have been. Like, forming the City Watch is a good example. He, that was, he liked, you know, breaking bones and, and cutting off hands. and But it also did probably help the city justice-wise. You know, there's there's a, there's a, if you go too far with justice, quote unquote justice, then it starts to become unjust. But if you just have nothing at all, if you have kind of semi anarchy in the streets, well, that's probably worse. And we don't really know what it was like in King's Landing before the city watch was formed, but we get the idea that it was certain parts of town were pretty bad and that maybe, maybe the city watch just changed where the bad people were and they all started wearing uniforms instead of being thugs hiding in, around, you know, in dark alleys. But we don't really know. We don't have a lot of information on that. Either way, it's that it, itself is an interesting question. Like, how did King's Landing change because of the City Watch? And we have a lot of just mysteries around him. Did he groom Rhaenyra, as it sounds, as Mushroom says, basically? Or was there more of uh, Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra's relationship? Was that more a part of it? Or both? There's a lot of back and forth on that. So I think given that there's so many mysteries with him and he had so many cool adventures attacking pirates in the Stepstones and, and trying to conquer that, I think he's interesting in that sense. Um, but there's definitely more interesting Targaryens for sure, I would say. All right. Next one from Jennifer Shanley Clark. I've never been able to understand why Mel thought Stannis was Azor High. Like the only reason he went north was because Mel told him to. So why Stannis? Can I point out that the previous question was from Stannis Baratheon? <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> a good point out, really. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think we may get some more answer to that down the road. Maybe we are having more Melisandre chapters in the Winds of Winter, or at least one. It may just be one. And I think it's just as simple as why her vision's just misleading her. She knows that Stannis has Targaryen blood that might be part of it because he is a descendant of uh, Egg's daughter, uh, Rael or Rael. I always forget which is which. <laughs> I think it's Rael. And so that's part of it. You know, these prophecies often involve people with Targaryen blood or someone that is, she may be mistaking Jon Snow for Stannis. There's a lot of different theories out there on who she's really seeing but if we go back to before, right, like before she even came to Dragonstone, what led her there in the first place? Presumably something along the lines of she knew Azor Ahai would be reborn in Westeros. The location may have been important to her. That may have been something that she discovered or had a vision of. And I, 
I have to say that I'm still thinking now of with this Tana stuff of my many faced Azor high thing that it it was a gift. If, if we're like we still released that, but still with the general idea, if a bunch of people that's a that's a great idea actually. If you if you fold in the idea that Azor high is multiple people rather than one, which is possible, certainly Danny checks off the boxes better than anybody. But if you have multiples, then that just means she checks off the, the most boxes. So she's the most Azora High, but then that leaves room for others that just don't check off as many boxes, but still are doing Azora High-ish type things. And Ashea's point is really strong here because if she was seeing one of the faces of Azora High, one of the facets, let's say it's like a crystal with like the seven. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that is how they see it, right? The crystal with the seven, you know, it, it has many facets and that's just like the, the way they view God, the seven faces of God. And... That concept could be applicable here for sure. And Mel just saw one of the faces and thought that was the face. She thought it was one God because she, you know, she follows a monotheistic religion. If you turn your head a little bit to the left or right to cover, to move from from behind you. From behind me. Oh. We see the seven right there in Michael Klarfeld's map. If anyone's watching the YouTube video. Uh, not there. No, no, oh. Aziz. It's on the <laughs> Westeros map. Oh, oh they, you yeah, can just barely see star. the circle. Up, uh, up over here. But right? they each have yes. the figures there. That's right. How cool. Anyways. Where we. <laughs> yes. Very cool. Yeah, Michael Klarfeld is, is excellent. And all, another, shout out to Michael Klarfeld for making us another intro. He made us an intro for our Valerie Reedus project. So you'll be hearing that soon if you haven't already. From Brendan B., if the girls direwolf made it to King's Landing, what would have happened to them? I can't imagine Ned would have even let the wolves come with them south. Well, I mean, he was allowing them to come south, so I, I think it was okay at that point. But yeah, you could see why that would be a problem. The the people in the Queen's party were already having problems with them. Um, Nymeria bit Joffrey. <laughs> that's not that's not great. Uh, I think it would have been a problem. Yeah, I think they. It's only a matter of time before they bit somebody or got into a, a fight with another animal, scared a horse, and the horse threw somebody. Lady wouldn't hurt anyone. Lady, okay, maybe I'm wrong about Lady, but Nymeria, hmm, I don't think so. Nymeria is too much like Arya herself. The direwolf take on the personalities of their of their masters a bit, if not a lot. And so, yeah, maybe maybe Lady would have been okay. I think that's a good point. I think Lady would have probably been okay. But, you know, for plot reasons, she had to lose her wolf, and that's very sad. Lady would have been so nice, but also, this story isn't about nice wolves. We can't have that. No, I, would have been interesting to see Joffrey try to do anything to Sansa with Lady around. He he wouldn't have, but uh, I think that's part of why it just didn't work for the story, um, and part of why uh, Nymeria had to go flee off into the woods to become part of the story later, most likely because hey, it's not it wouldn't be great to kill them both off. You got to have a little more variety than that. Thomas Pappas asks, who has the creamiest thighs in Westeros? <laughs> Shiera Seastar. <laughs> well, she's passed, so maybe among the living, Wyman Manderley. <laughs> <laughs> he rubs cream on them every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mermaid cream. Hmm. Mm. Yes, mermaid cream. <laughs> Keep those thighs creamy. <laughs> no, it would have been Blood Raven once upon a time. <laughs> Yeah, Melisandre's yeah. thighs are pretty creamy, I guess. Okay, I'm just thinking of the whitest people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The palest. Illyria would give him a run for his money, but he's not in Westeros. Not yet, anyway. 
That's an odd question, Tommy. But thanks. They've been, they've been talking about creamy thighs a bunch I've seen on Facebook. Is there some DJ creamy thighs or something like that? Isn't that a thing? I don't know. Mm. Um, from Lord Commander George the Golden. In, in book canon, would it be possible for a king to demand a certain maester to be sent to them as a grand maester? The only head canon I can come up with for Sam being grand maester on the show is that Bran simply demanded it. Or he suggests like Cersei and Kyburn. So, and, and Nina Friel gives us a little uh, tidbit here, points out that in Fire and Blood that when Grand Maester Melos dies, there was a big debate between Rhaenyra and Alicent as to who should be appointed as his replacement. Viserys, who was still king, he hadn't died yet. The dance obviously hadn't broken out yet. Uh, the quote says, Viserys, beset from both sides, chose neither, reminding both the princess and the queen that the choice was not his to make. The Citadel of Old Town chose the Grand Maester not the crown. So I don't think there's precedent for this, but is the question is, would it be possible for a king to demand a certain maester? A king could definitely demand it, and it kind of depends on the citadel at the time. Who's running the citadel at the time, whether they would accede to this demand based on circumstance. They might you know, stand on principle and say, no, this is our right. They want to protect it and demand it. But if it was, you know, Magor the Cruel coming directly at them with his mother, Visenya, on her dragon as well, now, to be clear, that's not what happened, but they did come to Old Town to confront the faith. If they had been coming to Old Town to confront the Citadel, I don't think the Citadel would stand on principle with Vagar and Balerion bearing down on them, considering who those riders were. Because they would better believe that Magor and Visenya would be willing to pull that dragon trigger, so to speak. So, I think this is one of those things where the law it, it only goes so far. Because a, a clever king uh, or a brutal king or a combination of both has ways around the law. And Cersei, she just skirted it. She just didn't choose a Grand Maester. She's like, I'm just going to run with Kyburn here. And, you know, it's, it's, she's not technically violating the law by saying they choose the Grand Maester. She just never chose, allowed them to send one. She let them pick it, but she didn't use it. <laughs> she just kind of set Pycelle aside, and when he was killed, she never asked for another one. All right, next question. From, uh, let's see here, uh, from <laughs> from Stephen Stark. Same day over and over. Wait, what is this referring to? Saying, it's saying referring oh, to the same day over and over. Right, if you could live the same day over and over again, he would say, have kind of thrones over and over again yeah be, that would be his oh, same day that's a really good good call steven stark <laughs> having a con day over and over that I is not the that. day i would pick which day would you pick i would pick a day where i could be productive and that things weren't <laughs> wild and crazy and i had commitments like having to do my panels and having to do a million things you know okay yeah it is different when you're where a I can, presenter like, be, yeah, be at home and just shoot the, the sky's the limit. I could go out and do all different things. I mean, I guess some days I could be like, you know, screw it with my Con of Thrones panels. But what if that's the one that stuck? Anyways, yeah, I, I love the idea, but uh, I, I wouldn't work for me. <laughs> also, super chats from Brendan B. And uh, no question. Thank you very much, Brendan. We, oh, we also got a super chat from Daryl Blake just now. Oh, hey, uh, Daryl. That's again Daryl Blake of the uh, with the Mantrader tribute band here. Yeah, he said, love your channel. Also, cool shirt. Glad <laughs> to see you got them. Hope mm -hmm. I can get Aziz to take a solo on the next album. 
I might could do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, right now. Given that I'm working on Jenny's song and stuff, my chops are getting some exercise. So I could definitely be down for that. Appreciate it, Daryl. We also got another super chat just this instant from Christina Dillsdale, who says, "Will a great council elect Brand? How will that happen?" I do think that's what's going to happen. Um, I, in fact, I'm going to be providing more. It's one of the topics I'm most interested in researching now that we know that, or at least have a likely scenario given to us by the show. The great council part isn't a certainty. The brand being king is, though, unless George you know, changes his mind. But he, not only did we see it in the show, but we've now learned, you know, it's, this has been out in social media, that George flat out told Isaac Hempstead Wright that he would be king. So it's not just the show showing it. It's George apparently telling uh, the actor the same thing. But again, he didn't give all these details. He just said Brand would be king. He didn't say anything about the Great Council. However, I do think that there will be a Great Council. Here's a couple of reasons why. This is a great question. For one thing, the Great Council is mentioned a couple of times very early in A Song of Ice and Fire. It's mentioned by John, and it is mentioned by Catelyn. Oh, you were going to say, okay. I, I was just agreeing with you. Oh, okay, yeah. so cool. <laughs> and in both cases, it's you know framed as a time when they had a difficult situation with multiple kings and didn't know what to do. In fact, that when Catelyn brings it up, it's during the War of the Five Kings. She says, look, let's have a great council rather than just having all these kings fight it out. Of course, that suggestion did not be- become uh, reality. But we all know pretty well especially regular listeners of this show that George loves to foreshadow events by having them in his historical writings. Can I, can I share that little bit of a quote that we talked about before? Yeah. Um, it goes, uh, this is from a clash of Kings, Catelyn for let the three of you call for a great council, such as the realm has not seen for a hundred years. We will send to Winterfell. So Bran may tell his tale and all men may lo- may know the Lannisters for the true usurpers. Because, of course, they're talking about the idea that they were trying to kill Bran and beyond yeah. that. But Bran may tell his tale and the idea of Bran, the storyteller, being king after a great council. Yep. Yeah. It's perfect. It's really good. That's a really good uh, kind of foreshadowy, potentially foreshadowy line there that just rings out so differently than it did before the TV show finished like we that line was just kind of cool and interesting, but didn't necessarily stand out too many too much more than other lines about historical stuff. But now it's like, oh, and it gets even deeper when you realize that who called the last great council some hundred years ago. It was actually more like 70 years ago from Catelyn's uh, from when that line was uttered by Catelyn. It was in 232 and that line in, by Catelyn is 298, 299. But. The the few you know couple decades aside here that doesn't really matter. The point is the person who called that great council was Blood Raven, the three eyed crow himself, the one who is currently mentoring Bran in the tree in the north. So that's really interesting, and kind of ties it all together, makes it full a full circle kind of situation, and it also it gets a little darker because Bran and Blood Raven are very different human beings. And I don't just mean that one of them is a tree that's 125 years old and has, you know, Targaryen blood and all that. That's certainly a difference between them as well. But that's not the kind I'm referring to. I just mean that they have very different attitudes. Bran is a sweet, loving, 
boy who didn't want these dire wolves to be killed and who when he's standing in for his brother as prince of winterfell he thinks about how much he would make his subjects love him and how they would love him back whereas blood raven was people was inspired fear he maybe he never had the option to choose to rule by love because he's a scary looking dude and people don't like bastards in westeros so they already were predisposed to look down on him so you got all the combination of they don't like how he looks they don't like his birth and they just don't really like him he's kind of abrasive and uh you know there's a lot of things about him that we like as readers that characters in the story did not like so he didn't have a choice to rule by love it's interesting that some characters like in the show again danny seems to have the option she if if she has john with her then she believes she can rule by love because she has this popular hero to kind of you know be her champion of sorts and to represent her and to show that this heroic figure has endorsed her which would go a long way uh, but when that doesn't happen of course she says okay let's go with fear then most of the characters in the story don't really have the choice i suppose someone like egg on the conqueror does egg on the conqueror could have ruled by fear it may not have worked but hmm, he more was the the fear is kind of just over his shoulder you know like he was pretty open-handed pretty generous People who bowed to him got great rewards and high titles. People who didn't, they got the dragons. But he led with the generosity and finished with it if he could. But if the generosity didn't get the job done, it was absolutely the dragons. And Bloodraven, well, the generosity never, he didn't really go to that first. (laughs) He was more about going straight to the, well, he didn't have dragons, maybe straight to the the raven's teeth, whatever, the, the armies, the, the king's justice, he was harsh. And Bran is not. And I think that's really going to be interesting to see how that breaks down because I do think there will be some divisions there. I think Bran will disagree. He'll start to realize that this isn't all right. You know, we already know the cave is creepy. We already know that uh, it's not all goodness and happiness in there in the cave. It's not all... Oh, the children of the forest are just happy forest elves. There's skulls and darkness and tree branches growing out of people's eye sockets and stuff. That's not meant to be, you know, it's not meant to be not scary. (laughs) It's not George being pretend scary. It's really scary. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. So you take that and, you know, you think about what Varys says about what it means to be a king. And I, I'm not, I don't mean the riddle of where power resides. I mean when he's giving his speech to Kevin about how his chosen king knows what it's like to be chased and to be feared, or to be, uh, to be afraid, not to be feared, to be afraid, to be cold and hungry, to be, uh, have people coming after you, <laughs> and to be uh, helpless, to, not, to know what it's like to have a common-ish struggle, things like that. These are all things that Bran has seen in his own way. He certainly was chased. He certainly has, you know, been suffering without eating and uh, exposure and things like that. Losing friends and not knowing where, whether he's going to make it to his next goal. Things like that. So interesting. We've, we, we applied this logic of the, the perfect prince that Varus is describing to Kevin to other characters like Danny, who it does fit. She, Danny knows what it's like to be chased. She was you know, her upbringing was full of fear and danger and violence and, and people lying to her constantly and giving her bad advice and giving her bad life goals. Viserys imparted this 
crappy quest to go get the throne in her. And it's it's not a good quest. <laughs> and th- this is so different than some of these other characters and, w- and, and what they're raised in. So, But we can still see what Vars is talking about with Fagon in Danny, how she's had to struggle, how she really knows what it's like. She just hasn't had things handed to her. So that really does apply. Same thing with Jon Snow. Jon didn't have too many things handed to him. He certainly had some things handed him by being, you know, a scion of Winterfell and getting taught swordsmanship by a, uh, a real master at arms and getting to learn what a sword is like and a sword is like a sword and stick him with the pointy end and getting taught strategy by Ned Stark and, and nobility by Ned Stark and all these other things. So they, he, they did have a leg up, all these characters above commoners, but they definitely also struggled. But I never applied that thinking to Bran, even though it was just right there this whole time. They, all the Starks have had this kind of suffering. Arya did too. Sansa did too. They've all been separated from their family. They've all been in extreme danger. They've all you know, had all kinds of struggles to face, and they've all been traumatized in various ways. So, well, that, that was my longest answer well, of, well, of the day. Yeah, well, I will say with that, they still had, you know, like you were saying, a leg up. Like, even if they then went through trauma, they still had a good baseline. Yeah. But even then, still, between, like, Daenerys and Arya and all, I mean, all the all the Stark kids still are so privileged when you compare them to the peasant folk and just the average person, even just, like, someone who isn't a Lord Paramount house or anything like that. How awful it is. Yeah, I mean, and uh-huh. we get very little look into that. I mean, Davos is a commoner, but he's not, he, it's more like he was a commoner. So someone in his memories, he has these, the, this time, you know, in his life, but currently he's a knight in service to Stannis with a ship and, you know, he's well, not wanting for the, anything. One of the closest experiences we get to seeing into that life, I think is honestly Penny. Yeah. It's just, it's in a different locale, but we do at least get some glimpse at how rough it could, you know, could have been. For Tyrion, for example, but it's not, you're not in her head. And you, you see, because you see like Pate, but he's just, you know, he's, he's got, he's pretty privileged. He's, you know, out at the Citadel, you know, he's living a, a pretty decent life compared to people who are living in the Riverlands. Yeah. The old town is one of the best places you could probably be if you're a commoner, I would think. Yeah. I would think so too. Better than King's Landing, most, most likely. Yeah. Better weather there, <laughs> cleaner, you know, less violence probably. And more, uh, more knowledge, right? You're closer to a center of knowledge. I think maybe that would have some effect on the surrounding area. The maesters would have more. I imagine on the you city. would get, yeah, yeah, you would get better medical care. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty important. That makes sense. And they may have better, like, <laughs> health care, like sewage management, things like that. Maybe. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a pretty interesting thing to consider in that regard as well. Uh, and, um, the. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I mean, I think I had one of the things. That, no, actually, one other thing to say about that. There's a lot of outcastry among the Starks. Like, they all kind of become an outcast in their own way. And it's not just the Starks. Daenerys begins as an outcast of sorts. Tyrion is an outcast of sorts from his own family, right? You know, before the story even starts. Jon, absolutely an outcast. The Stark kids don't start as outcasts, but they become so pretty quick. Arya is lost from her family. She's all the way over in Braavos and in the Riverlands. She's you know, kind of outcast in her sense. Sansa's cut off in her own way and has to hide as a, take a, a different identity. And, you know, her own identity makes her, puts her in danger. I mean, you can continue and say this about a bunch of characters. You could say that Quentin Martell is, of course. You could say that 
Ariane Martel is less so, but in her newest chapter, she's, you know, in, in, in unfamiliar situations. But le- she's less so, whereas Quentin definitely is, I think. Well, I'm not sure I would agree with Quentin because he wasn't he wasn't outcast. He was sent on a mission, whereas these other characters like they're not places where they want to go him, these places. By think choice. about him in Slaver's Bay, how much he, he feel he is an outcast. OK, there. so that's that's I would I, I see what you're saying. I would maybe maybe I wouldn't call that an outcast. It's like a stranger in a strange land, which is pretty similar, though. So that's what you're yeah, saying. So okay, I do agree yeah. with that. OK. Yeah, like Daenerys, stranger in a strange land among the Dothraki. Sansa, stranger in a strange land among the, the Vale men or the being in this uh, northerner from the south. Yeah. Things like that, or a southerner from the north. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that. And Arya just constantly, yeah. So I guess maybe outcast isn't the right word. More maybe stranger in a strange land is uh, a yeah. John amongst the wild. In unfamiliar territory yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And, and Catelyn, just her first chapter is full of her being like, her, the first line of her chapter is she had never liked this God's one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, you see a lot. I mean, Victorian, Tyrion, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There's a lot, a lot of that. A lot, a lot of that. Just in general. Okay, yeah. we've stumbled on another theme here. <laughs> We're surely not the first, but there it is. From Aja the Third, is there any chance Varys is not really a eunuch? I don't think so. I, I guess there's always a chance, but no, I really don't think so. I think that would be a kind of a hard thing to conceal for so long, especially and I don't know what the purpose would be. I mean, there are, I guess there are some Obviously, purpose. it's that uh, I plus V equals J. Illyrio <laughs> plus Varus equals J? Yeah, J. Who's the J? Jaharis. Oh, Jaharis. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Illyrio and Varus are, yeah, so... Which one it's of them is character. actually so Varus isn't is is not a eunuch because not because he actually still has a penis but because he's he was never woman. a man in the first yeah, place. Yeah, he's a woman. He's a woman. Yeah, okay. okay. There, there's the answer. There it there's, is. there's the T for you, I guess. <laughs> That's not what I expected. So he's not a merman, he's a merwoman. He's a mermaid. Oh, he's no maid. <laughs> he's had some mer babies already. Yeah. <laughs> With Illyrio. Sarah is is Varys. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And Lario's devastated that he lost her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, we warned y'all it would be silly today. Okay, let's do a little mid-roll action here and then come back with more questions. Also, I have some thoughts on cell swords and the Golden Company and founding new houses. I also have some thoughts on what we're going to uh, be doing scripted wise. It's not really thoughts on, but rather letting y'all know what we have coming up with our scripted content, which is robust. So let's do this real quick. Um, I want to remind y'all that the Thrones effect is available. It is a book published by several different game of Thrones, YouTubers slash podcasters slash bloggers. And we are among that group. We wrote a really fun chapter on Game of Thrones' effect on not just pop culture, but on police and people's names and kids' and pets' names and all sorts of things. Just TV movie references, as in Game of Thrones popping up in other TV shows and movies, things like that. It's really fun to write that. Uh, Shay and I did it together. And it's also available on audiobook. You can get the link to it at our website, historyofwesteros.com. And I want to say thank you to our Blood Rider patrons. That includes Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragonbone hilt, Kohokoe, called Sun Piercer, wielder of a dragonbone bow, and Kokabo the Tamer, wielder of the wildfire whip, Gehenna. 
And also want to say thanks to our queen of love and beauty, who is appreciated thusly. From the depths of Flea Bottom, Lord Ken of House Hammer has declared for Queen Carrie, Fire of the North, who recovered Dark Sister from beyond the wall. Also, shout out to our sellsword captains, who we haven't heard from in a few weeks. It is high time to give them the love they deserve, if I can find them here on my page. Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, Captain of the Weirwood Wanderers, Salong Lives, Quick Desk, Cold Beer, and Warm Women. Dagron, Marshal of the Axe, Captain of the Red Tide, Resistance is Futile. Chiron Calls Bane, Captain of the Stone Shields, The Torrent Breaks Upon the Stone. Hema Helminth, Captain of the Whispering Children, Dead Men Tell No Secrets. Shepard, the Shepard of Essos, all men are sheep before the Shepard, heir to the Whispering Children. Lady Lajar Dajo is the Iron Lily, Master Archer, Castellan of the Summer Island Keep Arboreal Point, Captain of the All-Female Wailing Widows, Women, and Children first. Cody the Crimson is Bastard of Bracken, Captain of the Red Waste Exiles, and Recruiter of the Free Folk. Cameron the Hammer of Hornwood is Captain of the English Lions with the motto, Honor is the Reward of Virtue. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Black Rune is Captain of the Shadow Wolves, our steel is cold, our vengeance colder. Black Alex Sand, the Bastard of Spears, is leader of the Bermuda Vanguard. And Bitter Steel, Captain General of the Golden Company, beneath the gold, the bitter steel, and our word is good as gold. Straight from the text. How cool. Going classic there. Love it. All right. Um, want to also remind you all about Con of Thrones. Stephen Stark mentioned it earlier. We are going to be there. That's all three of us, Ashea, Sean, and myself. You can get $5 off your ticket price by using the discount code history and not only can you see us but you can see jamie gendry sam gilly the real actors and actresses will be there probably announce one or two more they, they tend to the pattern has been that they have they add guests up till the last minute sometimes so i wouldn't be surprised if there's more but that right there is quite a lot it's not just us as far as the youtube podcast community there'll be a lot of other great folk there and we always have a fantastic time. So I hope you can join us. It's in Nashville. We'll be driving up there um, in July. It's next month. Hope y'all can make it. <clears throat> With the novel coronavirus pandemic escalating in the U.S., Roe, the parent company of Roman, is offering free telehealth services for people seeking guidance and information on COVID-19. Their free online assessment is based on guidelines from the CDC and the World Health Organization and can help determine if you are at risk. If appropriate, Roe will connect you with a medical provider for a free consultation. Visit roco slash coronavirus on your phone or laptop to complete a free online assessment. That's roco slash coronavirus. And let's go to the next set of questions. That is all for the announcements. From Andrew Depew. When going over the pilot, I was struck by how the other that was shown looked almost totally like the Predator animation. This idea made more sense when listening to the recent reread and hearing the description of the world swirling around the others. If you look at the pilot, even the hands look pretty Predator-like. There's also the hunting ritual, the loose sense of honor. And do you see any other similarities between these things? Do you think George had caught the Arnold Classic as the Saturday movie before getting into the chapter? Well... You know, that's an interesting question, and I appreciate that what Andrew's doing here, here is, uh, is that he's rereading and rewatching at the same time. So he's really kind of capturing the differences. He's really outlining and noting the, the similarities and differences. So well done there. I like that. But to actually answer these questions, well, I got to admit that I've never actually seen Predator. <laughs> but I do agree that 
this is an accurate description. Predator came out in 1987. And of course, the Game of Thrones was written, it was finished, published in 1996. And of course, the idea started well before that. And he's right. Andrew's right. There's a, this, it's very true that when, when George was describing to the comic book artist what the others would look like, he specifically said that it mirrors the things around them. Like you can, like if, if they walk past a tree, it's almost like it reflects that tree. So they really blend in like camouflage. And that's very much how the camouflage and predator works, as I understand it. Like I said, I haven't seen the movie, but lore about that movie has been around for as long as it's been around. It just has been popular since it came out and, and people keep referring to it. And I've, so I've seen it, seen this thing talked about. And that is what his kind of armor it's like technology instead of magic, but it just reflects everything around it. So that's kind of cool. I definitely think it's possible George saw that. That was a very, like I said, very famous movie. It was very popular. Arnold Schwarzenegger was nominated for Best Actor. I'm not kidding. <laughs> for Predator. <laughs> it's like, really? Jean-Claude Van Damme was in this movie and a bunch of other kind of classic action guys. And uh, yeah, it had good music apparently too. Anyway, so there you go. Um, speaking of Predator and movies like that, I took a second here to talk about things that we're watching or consuming. Of course, we're rereading A Song of Ice and Fire as part of Valerie Redis. That's a given. Shay and I both relatively recently read Expanse Book 8. That was back before the season started. Yeah, Um, it came out in March. Yeah, yeah. So it was just in time. We we got to have uh, something to tie us over till the season. And I, once again, will recommend The Expanse. A lot of y'all out there have expressed that you were happy that we turned you on to The Expanse. And a lot of others of y'all have expressed that you were already into The Expanse and are glad to hear us talking about it. So here's another uh, suggestion. And it's coming back for season four on Amazon later this year. Also, we've been watching the show Barry. Pretty entertaining. Pretty uh, pretty good show. Very comedic. Very clever. Yeah, I, I was watching it. And then Aziz was wanted to watch something with a friend and i was like i don't know I, you know he, and i was like yeah barry's good and they just sat and binged as he's watched the whole first season it's only eight episodes but he just watched it all which is not that he doesn't do that that often yeah it's true i don't <laughs> it's got henry winkler and uh some other good actors it's it's pretty dark but very funny very clever it's it's kind of like a it's almost like a comedic version of dexter but but pretty different in a lot of other ways but there's definitely some dexter vibes to it um also watched chernobyl it was five episodes, and it very quietly has become HBO's highest-rated show of all time. Uh, just, you know, some, some of that's because it's new and it just came out. That always happens. There's always a, a freshness of balance. But that's still a huge statement, <laughs> having a movie do or a miniseries do so well. Super well-acted. Reminds me of The Expanse a bit because it has Jared Harris, who's a great feature of the TV show. And it also has a lot of Game of Thrones actors in it. Uh, really, really good. But I, I, I'm confused because... You know, at no point in the entire five episodes, they explain how Cher became part of the nobility. Um, I don't get it. Cher Noble. It just didn't. <sighs> I'm confused. I also watched the Deadwood movie. That was really good. I love Deadwood. Um, and it was a, back in the day when HBO didn't plan things quite as well. Deadwood ended abruptly. It was three seasons and then it just stopped. It didn't have an ending. And the movie, even though it takes place 10 years after season three, they kind of just pick up where they left off. They managed to do that. It was a clever way of, of, of tying it all together. And it's one of the, if, if I were to say quickly why I love that show so much, it's because of the dialogue. The way they write the dialogue from the 1880s, 1870s, 
Love it so much. It's really, really good. And Shay, you've got a few other things here too, don't you? Yes, I do. <clears throat> Sorry about that, everybody. But I have been watching, well, I finished already, but I still have to rave about Fleabag, which is just one of the most phenomenal shows to ever exist, a true masterpiece. It's by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who does another show that I absolutely love called Killing Eve. And uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was also in Solo, as it so happens, as L337. But in addition to Fleabag and Killing Eve, I've been watching Veep again for another time because the final season just aired on HBO and it was just a magnificent series finale and it just made me want to rewatch the whole season, the whole series over again, all seven seasons. And then I've been watching Gentleman Jack, which has uh, Gemma Whelan, you know, Asha Yara in it and is just very interesting based on a true story about from the diaries of Ann Lister about this female landowner um, and the audacious things that she did. So I'm loving that. And the final show I'm going to tout, because I am watching some of the other things or reading other things that Aziz mentioned, is What We Do in the Shadows, which is really, really, really funny. The movie was phenomenal. The New Zealand spinoff show, Wellington Paranormal, was really good. But, I, you know, TV series I tend to like more than movies. And... I'm really happy that the What We Do in the Shadows show is good. If you didn't know, it's a, a vampire mockumentary, and the TV series is set in Staten Island. It's funny. Yeah. It's very funny. Very yeah. funny. I've kind of watched by osmosis by you know being in the same room with it, and it definitely grabbed my attention and like, hey, this is funny. Sean likes it too. And well, imminently, I'm really excited for a few new episodes of Black Mirror. Good Omens is out, and I will be checking that out, but I haven't had a chance and man, there's so much good TV out there. Yeah, we're still in the golden era of TV, even though we yeah. don't have Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> but we'll have the prequel show probably, and that might just be another great thing to add to the list here. But we'll have to wait and see oh, on that. My finals, my final, I have one more. DuckTales. Woo! <laughs> I love DuckTales. I think the new season has been even better than before moving. And uh, yeah, I, I highly cool. recommend How many Tales. seasons does it have now? It's the second season, okay. but they're just really long seasons. Oh, okay. Nice. Anyways. And inside, Lewin Martell asks us a TV-related question. Better show, Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul? We're both going to go with the minority here. Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. It's I a little agree. unfair. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it has, it has all, it, it, well, also because it has all of Breaking Bad to build on. Yeah, so that's true. They get to really unfair, learn but... from themselves, yeah. In terms of, I, I just think that the characters and the conflicts are better in Better Call Saul. Yeah, it's more, I, it, there's more, the, the characters are a little easier to root for. I think some of them anyway. Um, Walter White is a compelling character, but I don't ever like him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's just interesting. He's compelling, but you're like, ah, I don't like him, you know? And uh, that that's that's but yeah I agree with Shay I like Better Call Saul more and so does Sean so all three of us are what we're all hipsters because we like the the less popular show more <laughs> but no it isn't it isn't for that <laughs> to be fair throughout Breaking Bad Saul Goodman was long one of my favorite favorite characters yeah and I loved Gus Fring and Mike Ehrmantraut and those are the other main characters you know yes. the only one missing is Jesse who I loved I love Badger and them but I you know Walter White I I didn't love and the the conflict between him and Skyler didn't love and uh, i really much prefer the kim wexler character and better call saul and you know there's there's a lot going for it yeah. while still having the color theory and the 
just amazing cinematography that makes a Vince, you know, Gilligan Gould project. I mean, I don't know. Anyways, I love them both. I think they're two the best shows, two of the very best. <laughs> yeah, they're so good. I really agree. And that's, that's something that's worth pointing out, too. If you have never tried out Better Call Saul, you think it's all about Saul. It, like Ashea alluded to, it's got a lot of Gus and Mike and these other characters. Uh, and it's, of course, it's, it takes place before Breaking Bad. So that's why those characters can still be around. Anyway, let's move on. I said I would talk about what we have upcoming scripted-wise, and I will do that. I already mentioned Lomas Longstrider, so won't talk about that too much. We also have House Blackwood coming up. That's going to be sooner than Lomas Longstrider, even though the patrons voted for Lomas Longstrider over House Blackwood. What I discovered after the vote was that Joe Buckley had written a lot of a Blackwood episode already, so it's just so much farther down the development pipe. It's so much likely to get finished sooner anyway, so... That's going to come out first, and it's going to be great. We're excited to present that to y'all. We're also working on Dance of the Dragons Part 2 with Radio Westeros. That's going to be very cool. That'd probably be a little bit later down the line. And like Ashea said earlier as well, we're working on this many-faced Azor High episode, which we're excited to present as well. We have a little more thinking and planning to do on that and some scripting, but ooh, lots of fun stuff coming down the pipe. I just have to say, that because Scott Wartman pointed it out, I didn't mention Legion which is one of the most phenomenal shows out there, period. And it comes out in 20 days on June 24th. Nice. Yeah. That and uh, Harry Lloyd is going to be in season three, as in that's Viserys. Yeah, Viserys is 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 playing a character that I won't spoil. And Stephanie, Cornelia, yeah, and Stephanie Corneliuson, <laughs> who is from Mr. Robot, and I loved her in that show, is also playing another major character. So that's right pretty on. cool. Martin Hansen asks, Aziz, you went from creamy thighs to Shiera Seastar to her being dead. <laughs> but do you think it's possible that Quaith is Shiera Seastar? Love you guys. Well, thank you, Martin. We love you too. Um, I do think it's possible that Quaith is Shiera Seastar, but I've never been a huge fan of that theory. I, I don't see enough to connect them. I don't think that, uh, I think Shiera's eyes are so distinct that we might have seen that through the mask. That's because that's the one thing we can see of Quaith is her eyes. They're not super well described, but something like having mismatched colors would really stand out. So I'm kind of down on that idea. Um, I do think Shiera is probably dead. I'm not a, to be honest, to throw more shade on the theory, I'm not a huge fan of Shiera as the daughter of Melisandre, or sorry, Melisandre as the daughter of Bloodraven and Melisandre. Uh, cannot say this right. Melisandre being the, the daughter of Bloodraven and Shiera. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that, but I acknowledge it's possible. The problem with it is, is the timeline is really tight on it, which isn't always the best argument against something because George is, a little bit loose with the timeline sometimes, but mm, it's not a it's not a reason to throw that argument out either. Um, and Mike Bruno from our Facebook group points out something that I want to give that I want to acknowledge, which is amongst all the discussions that have come about Danny after season eight, all the different thoughts on how she could be blamed for some things in the books that she doesn't actually do, things that in the show didn't even happen uh, as in things that come before the destruction of King's Landing or per potentially after. In other words, we've, we've gone through a lot of different things that the realm could say put on her that aren't necessarily her fault. One of those things that I hadn't really thought about a whole lot is grayscale and or the bloody flux. And that's what Mike Bruno points out. I definitely think that's possible, even though we know grayscale has come from John Connington and maybe from Shireen if Val's warning means anything, which I think it does, then there's no reason to blame Danny, but that doesn't mean people won't because if they think that this came by ship and Danny brings all these people over, they might 
think it came from her. And Fire and Blood is full of stories about people blaming the wrong people for diseases being spread. There's a couple of stories like that. And whether the bloody flux is going to be part of that, I don't know. Maybe that's just a thing that she's dealing with out there as kind of a foreshadowing or like the test run for a much bigger disease outbreak later. I do think that the Targaryens are probably immune to grayscale and to some level, but clearly not uh, near the source because it was unleashed on the Targaryen conquerors and a lot of them got grayscale. But of course, I would expect that grayscale isn't as powerful as it used to be near uh, rather not as powerful. That's not what I mean. Uh, it's not as powerful away from the source like that. When, when uh, Garen the Great isn't there to drop the magic on everyone's head right at once. It's probably not as strong as, as, as it was. But it's possible because Grayscale is magical that that's exactly why it will work on someone like Danny or John or something like that. Someone with the Targaryen blood. And especially because, hey, uh, the Roinar presumably designed it to work on Valyrians, I guess. It certainly did. So... Anyway, the idea of thinking of all the things that could go wrong in Westeros and how Danny could be blamed for them or be responsible for them, in some cases it probably will be the case, is a really interesting rabbit hole to go down because so much is going to go wrong in Westeros. There's going to be so much more war and death and destruction. And of course, the others will be responsible for a lot of it. And people aren't going to blame Danny for winter, I don't think. <laughs> but hey, you know. Maybe, maybe people will find a way. Like, if that dragon queen hadn't landed in the south, the old gods wouldn't have gotten so pissed and brought winter on our heads. Like, I guess it's possible people could find a way to even blame her for that. But probably a few things will be uh, laid at someone else's feet. From Stephen Stark, can you explain why Argon VI is the one true king? <laughs> Corrects it to Aegon, but LOL. We have to retain the question in its original and intended form. Well... Yeah, why is he the one true king? Well, I don't think he is, but let's say, let's explain why he could be. If people see him as the heir to Rhaegar and they see Rhaegar as the heir to Ares, which he was, then by claims, you know, passing down claim-wise, he has just as strong a claim as anybody. And that puts him, that would put him ahead of someone like Stannis, who we normally in the fandom refer to as the one true king. That would put him ahead of Daenerys, of course. That would put him ahead of uh, anyone who's not taking the throne via conquest, because, of course, conquest trumps everything else, as we know. And I hope that answers the question. As far as claims, as far as legal claims, taking swords and dragons and you know fighting and intrigue out of it, if it were just a matter of looking at the best claim and not looking too deep into someone's background to see if they're actually who they say they are, <laughs> then, yes, Aegon VI is technically first in line. Unless, unless, uh, well, no, actually, not, not even unless. Not even unless John comes out and says, hey, uh, Rhaegar was married. Because this kid would still come before John, technically, because he's the older brother. Now, we know that's probably not the case because Aegon probably was really killed. But Varys's lie could really work, could really, really work. I think it will, at least for a while. It may never be completely uncovered. It may just be us readers who know the truth and the characters in the story, for the most part, still go to the end of book seven or book eight and believe that that Aegon VI was truly Rhaegar's son. A lot of them will never learn the truth, is, is my guess. Related question from Netherspark. Assuming Fagon is really a Blackfire imposter, do you think he knows? Or has Varys and Illyrio been lying to him all his life? 
The latter, for sure. John Connington doesn't know either. And I don't think that uh, they would allow, you know, they, they would, they're keeping John Connington in the dark because of how it motivates him, because he really he feels like he failed Rhaegar. And he wouldn't have this motivation to put this random kid on the throne. It's all about the fact that he thinks it's Rhaegar's kid. And if, if Fagon himself knew the truth, they would be relying on him to keep the secret from his foster dad, which that's too chintzy for them. They're not going to take that chance. There's no reason for them to tell him the truth, especially given how long they've had him in, under their wing. You know, when were they going to tell him? When he was six? When he was eight? When he was 10? Never, I think, is the answer. I don't think they've ever had a reason to tell him. It's, it's one of the secrets that they would prefer nobody ever learns other than themselves. So yeah, that could, in fact, become a problem. This could be uh, a falling out between Varys and Fagon, and maybe his, him and his counselors. It could be what we see happen to Laris Strong at uh, the Dance of the Dragons, or what we see happen to Varys in the TV show, where he's executed for uh, playing both sides or being outed as having lied about this heritage stuff. A lot of possibilities. I don't think it'll just be as simple as the show did it, but though his death could be under similar auspices, which is that he's found out or that, uh, you know, the game is up for him. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be that he betrays Danny because he's not on her side in the first place in the books. Ben Barclay asks, will Blackfire show up in the books? Another related question. Yes, I am 99%. I would bet a lot of money that Blackfire is going to show up in the books. It should show up as part of the Fagon plot. Here's a, uh, I've said this before, and other people have mentioned this, but it's, it's a, it, it slips through the cracks because it's not widely known. Back before Dance of Dragons was published, George, like he has for The Winds of Winter, has re- released several of the chapters ahead of time in pre-release form. Most of them stayed the same. They weren't rewritten. They weren't changed. Or if they were changed, it was small changes. But in this case, there were some significant changes in one of the Tyrion chapters. I believe the second Tyrion chapter, the one where he's on the road with Illyrio and they meet with Griff and Duck and Halden. And he then Tyrion eventually goes off with them. But in the original version of that chapter, Tyrion is overhearing them talk and he doesn't fully understand what they're saying because he doesn't understand the language they're using, but he sort of understands it. He recognizes a few key words, crown, king, and sword, I believe are the three words. I'm not sure about king, but definitely crown and sword. And sword was immediately rung off all the alarm bells in the fandom like, sword, sword, sword? Wait, this kid has all this Blackfire stuff. Nina notes it was the second Tyrion chapter. That's what I said. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was just making sure. Okay, cool. Queen, yes. And she says, queen, dragon, sword. Queen, dragon, and sword. Okay, cool. Those are the three. I just wanted so to not, So it wasn't crown or king. So it was queen, dragon, and sword. So that is supposed to lead us to, to think about Daenerys, of course, queen. But dragon, of course, is another clue. That's pretty obvious. Dragon and dragon queen there. But the sword part is, well, what does that mean? And, you know, there were all kinds of theories back, like Lightbringer stuff. But most of that didn't make a lot of sense. Blackfire made perfect sense. If they really want to sell this kid as a real Targaryen, if they want to sell him as the son of Rhaegar, what better way than to have a Targaryen symbol at his side? He might even wear the crown of Aegon the Conqueror. That's been, that was lost back in the day as well, but by the uh, Dornish. Well, they didn't lose it. They 
they stole it. And uh, did they give it back? I forget. Maybe they may have given it back. But uh, yeah, I have, to re- I have to refresh myself on that. Someone in the chat will correct me on that one. I've, I've forgotten what happened with Aegon's crown. But that could be something else that, that he shows up with as a symbol. Good question here from Alan. What sort of arc do you see for Lady Stoneheart in the remainder of the books? This is a big question that I'm tackling as part of Valar. We read us right away in Cat's in chapter uh, because her first chapter is a good place to just start this discussion and start thinking about where it's going to go. Shay wants to say something. I just wanted to say that Nina said it disappeared with Daron the First. Okay, so it never did come back with Daron. Yeah. Okay, so that, that is... clarify that before we Yeah, forward. Daron the First, he was wearing it during the parlay with the Dornish, where the Dornish murdered him and captured Aemon the Dragon Knight and uh, all that. So, they, yes, that was when the crown was lost, and I couldn't recall whether they ever gave it back. Apparently not. But maybe uh, Illyrio and Varus have it. So that would be something. So, yeah, so St- Lady Stoneheart in the remainder of the books. Um, it's, it's really interesting because if you look at all the early POV characters, Ned, all right, his arc is pretty similar to the show. Very similar, really, compared to the others. John, well, we don't know for sure, but we know that George told them a lot. Rob, pretty darn similar. Bran, pretty similar, probably. We'll see. Rickon, maybe we'll see. But one for sure that we know is definitely different in a very fundamental way is Catelyn's arc with regards to Lady Stoneheart. And what makes it all more confusing is that Barrett comes back, right? In the show, Barrett is around. And we're like, well, if Barrett is still around, does that mean Lady Stoneheart will be? Because there's, Barrett is like the stand-in for Lady Stoneheart. Sort of, right? Lady Stoneheart gets animated because Barrett passes his life force on to her. And she leads the Brotherhood Without Banners in their sort of darker times as they become less about justice and more about revenge. So there's a couple of questions. What happens to Catelyn slash Lady Stoneheart after she accomplishes that revenge? Assuming she does. Let's say she carries out what we saw from Arya in the show and takes care of Walder Frey. Maybe that's what happens. Red Wedding version 2.0, something like that. Somehow she gets revenge. Maybe she takes out a Lannister too. Maybe she just isn't done and she just keeps wanting to seek more revenge. Maybe the Brotherhood abandons her because it's so awful. But maybe what we see in the show happens where they get led north by her or by someone else. Maybe she passes her life force on to somebody else. But that is what we saw in the show. And maybe that's what George told them, that the Brotherhood joins the fight to go north. Or maybe because we think that show down at Winterfell in the show might happen farther in the south, like at Harrenhal, maybe the others come to them and that's when they join the fight. Maybe Lady Stoneheart is still hanging out in the Riverlands running her brotherhood without banners as the others descend on the riverlands and they are forced into action lots of possibilities there and that's when we get into how do the undead interplay with each other right how does this fire white interplay with a ice white and how do the others interplay with things like the kyborg you know the mountain that rides uh, how does you know how does him being an undead figure how does that matter it didn't matter in the show but that doesn't mean anything to the books because that's one if one thing we can be sure about the, the show just left out a lot of the magical elements it's one of the things we really have to look forward to so we just don't know what's coming in a lot of that regard so i see lady stoneheart having sort of a you can't really say she's gonna have a tragic ending she's already had a tragic ending and it's it can't be more tragic i don't think but I do think there's some hope for her 
as she learns that some of the things that drove her semi mad aren't true, meaning that Arya and Bran and Rickon are alive. She thinks they're all dead. And Sansa, too. She's not sure about Sansa. She just thinks Sansa was lost to her because she was married to the Lannisters. But that's not even true anymore. She's not. She's escaped the Lannisters. So it's interesting to to see how that could play out. It's hard to imagine, though. How is this revenant undead being? How does she process finding out that some of her trauma was based on false information? How does this being fueled by hate and revenge process happiness now? Like, oh, my kids aren't dead. Like, that's that's a real challenge for George as an author. I'm glad he, he probably from his own point of view, he's glad he's not writing her as a point of view character anymore because she can hardly even speak. So it may be something that just we are, are left to imagine as we see her face, you know? I, I, and I'm not sure who our POV would be for any of this. Brienne, maybe? Jamie, possibly? Uh, probably Brienne, more likely. But yeah, it's a really good question and one of the best things for us to, one of the most juicy topics for us to consider in the books uh, doing a reread because it's, it's something that the show hasn't given us hardly any information on. Question from Aces. Robert was always right about the dragon spawn. Isn't that something? <laughs> Robert, if they, if uh, Ned had just listened to Robert and assassinated Daenerys, <laughs> it all would have been so much better, right? It's really funny in that regard. And, and that's, that just makes it all more complicated because we think, oh, everyone's, you know, they're just, they're just kids. They're not, uh, they're human beings, right? Well, <sighs> It's not really true with the Targaryens. They really are magical. They really do have dragon blood. They really do have magic in them. It does make them different. It's a strange conundrum for to consider from like a human rights perspective. Like, what if they really are just more dangerous? What if that magic in them really just does make them more likely to commit violence or horrors or anything like that? I don't know that. I don't think that's necessarily true. But what if it is? What if that is the case? What if that's what having this blood means that what an ethical conundrum that becomes really, really difficult. And of course, that's another really, really important thing for the reread. Anyone who's doing a reread, whether it's at your own pace or whether you're just thinking about these things without rereading because they're coming up again. Ned's conflict with Robert over dead children is a huge part of all of that, right? He, the reason he was like, no, I'm not killing Daenerys is very much related to what happened with Liana and the kids before, uh, as in the fake, the real Rhaegar's kid and uh, uh, son and his daughter, Rhaenys. They bi- argued bitterly over that, as we saw. Ned was mad. He was upset that they did that to the kids, and he really didn't appreciate Robert liking it. He thought it was so dishonorable, so gross. And so when Ned Roberts like, hey, best friend, let's do this again. Let's go kill this a, a girl. It's it's also a Targaryen girl again. It's, this, it's the same type of character. So it brings that all back again, and it reminds them of Lyanna. And Lyanna is the thing that they were able to get to the thing that's brought them back together again. Lyanna's death kind of you know restored their love for each other as they grieved together. But then it just came right back. 
We never did truly resolve that, even afterwards. Okay. Still time to get a few more questions in, but we're going to wrap it up soon-ish. We don't have to go a full two hours for Q&As unless we have a ton of questions. But I do have another topic I want to weigh in on. Yeah, you do. Something you've put off for a few different episodes, huh? Definitely. This is something that we'll be getting more information on, but something that I really have wanted to dive into. It's... My, uh, it's a thing I brought up before about Braun on the show and how he's just this interesting fount of, of crude wisdom and maybe not wisdom, but just being right against, uh, against, uh, the beliefs of other people. Jamie was just kind of grossed out by the idea of someone like Braun running high garden. Uh, but him it's, and me both. Yeah, Shay was too, <laughs> if we recall her conversations with Sean. But that's happening all over the South right now in the book. Sellswords are taking castles and getting them and will probably keep them in a lot of these cases. Now, what do I mean? Of course, I'm referring to the Golden Company. Again, this Q&A has turned into a lot of talk about the Fagon plotline, hasn't it? So the Golden Company, of course, is a lot of third and fourth generation Westerosi exiles. So they may have Westerosi descent, Westerosi blood, but they have no Westerosi culture in them, basically, other than the, the few bits and pieces they held on to, like knighthood, which is really just an institution that they give a name to. They're, they're probably not like even the Knights of Westeros don't really uphold the knightly virtues of the seven. We already know that. So these guys really aren't bound to anything if even the Westerosi knights aren't upholding the ideals of chivalry and all that so these are brutes even though they call themselves knights in most cases and that's kind of the point it's the what's the difference like sandor clagain will tell you there isn't really one the knights and the the the, the, the oils and the prayers and the, the scented air and all that it's bogus they're killers that's what these guys are it doesn't change them when you dress them up like that and so jamie's Affrontery is really kind of misplaced because a lot he's right, Braun is, I mean, that a lot of those houses started off that way. And the simple fact is when you have these huge, large-scale conflicts, or even smaller scale conflicts, forget about it. Whatever size the conflict is, a lot of times the people left standing at the end, especially the ones left standing with power, because there's ones who left are left standing because they stayed out of it. But the ones who were in it that are left standing at the end are very often the ones who are among the best, if not the best, killers in the conflict. The best killers often come out ahead in a situation that ultimately comes down to killing. It sucks, but it's realistic. <laughs> and Braun, we see it in the books too. Braun doesn't become Lord Highgarden. I guess he could, but... He becomes Lord of Stokeworth and he basically murders his way to the top. It remains to be seen what kind of Lord he'll be. He might be a decent man once he's got the top spot. He might stop murdering people. He might treat people okay. We've seen that. We've seen that in, in the real world. You see the case where there's a bitter struggle for the throne. And when one side wins, they turn like they go from a devil to angel in a, in a millisecond just because they want to put it all behind them and have the realm put it all behind them to legitimize their rule. And that's what these kind of guys would do as well. Sellsword is going to put behind that bloody past to take up the mantle of the noble lord. They'll, they can play both roles. And yeah, so it remains to be seen what Bron, book Bronn will do, but it goes to show that this kind of thing ha does happen all the time, as show Bronn pointed out. 
on the small scale with castles like Stokeworth, on the large scale with castles like Highgarden, which we saw in the Dance of the Dragons. Ulf the White was going to get Highgarden when he and Hugh Hammer were doing their thing as dragon seeds for the greens before they, you know, or sorry, for the blacks before they flipped to the greens and then kind of flipped for themselves when things got even more chaotic. Chaos being a ladder and all. So they tried to rise. And Ulf was a harmless drunk for most of his life. But the minute he got power, the minute he got Silverwing, it's it's said that he would rape maidens on the regular and drank himself into a stupor even more often than he already did, which is just crazy. And drinking is the perfect metaphor for the corruption, the, for power corrupting. You know, you just you have all you need at all times and you just can't stop yourself. Just drink, 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 drink. You can't, you know, you can't help himself. There's no self-control whatsoever. Robert, same thing, right? And it's kind of easy to think that this is some sort of cynical statement about commoners and unfitness to rule, but that's ignoring all kinds of nuance. I mean, Aegon the Unworthy was off the white with better birth and a lot more time to sow harm, but, you know, he, he, he didn't just get power all of a sudden. He grew up as a prince. He had power all his life. He just had more when he became king. So, yeah, it's not a statement about commoners. It's a statement about power corrupting no matter who you are. And yeah, maybe you can wield power a little better if you come into it slowly. Maybe that doesn't corrupt you. But that's also just a matter of who you are. Some people handle it pretty well. Some people take power immediately and see the responsibility that comes with it. John's a pretty good example. Danny's a pretty good example, too, even though it may not be how she ends up. It's it's how she sees it now. A perfect example of how terrible it is to give power to people uh, simply based on their blood is this dragon situation, right? Ulf the White became so powerful because he had a dragon. It wasn't because he was granted political power. Oh, he was granted that as well. But it was the dragon that really made the difference. That's what gave him the political power in the first place. And that's an interesting statement, too, because it's artificial power. It's something that it's not derived from him or, well, it is in a sense because he has magical blood that allows him to ride a dragon. But it's not something, it's not a character trait. It's something he earned, right? That's what I mean. And it's, it's, it's not this kind of standard wealth and opportunity privilege that comes in regular life, in real life. That's a real thing. And a dragon or a royal birth is, you know, the Westerosi equivalent of that sort of born into extreme privilege type situation and wealth. And a lot of this is at the root of conundrums presented by characters like Daenerys and Jon and Cersei and young Griff and so many others. It's it's uh, the same sort of situation. Like they're all in a in one way or another beholden to killers. Uh, I mean, Cersei, of course she is. Uh, Daenerys too, though. Daenerys is beholden to her Dothraki and her uh, to other people. Her the, the Unsullied are a, a, one of the few exceptions. They're not going to expect you know, blood or rewards like the other characters will, or with these other warriors who follow her. Even Jon Snow has wildlings with him that, that are a big fan of him, that, that see him as a leader figure. And a lot of them are mm, eh, not the best type of people, but the same, that's no different than the people who are already around him at all times. The Black Brothers are full of awful people who are kept good by laws and the few good men around them. And when those good men are gone, we see what happens at Craster's Keep. I mean, I can relate. I'm surrounded by all these men in this house. <laughs> it's just lawless land. 
we run a real lawless land. And like she says, it's a it's anarchy and chaos over here at the History of Westeros household. <laughs> All sorts of people drinking from skulls and setting things on fire and uh, yeah both of those things are true technically <laughs> sean has multiple times drank from a wine from a skull in this house hmm. not a real human skull though hmm. mm. not even a real skull of any kind just a skull a fake skull <laughs> for now for now for now yeah we'll get him a real skull eventually <laughs> so i think wait, that's wait, gonna... wait wait oh nina had a a pun we've never used before. What? A pun we've never used before. The household. The household. H-O-W. Oh. It's really good. I'm just that impressed. Is really good. I'm really impressed. All right. Two thumbs up for Nina. Everybody yeah. say thanks to Nina for that pun. Good job, Nina. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that, I think that's a pretty important factor. And, and as far as the Golden Company being specific, we already have, you know, we, we, we're left to wonder how Fagon and Connington will divvy out the seats. Mostly, it's going to go back to these families because the Golden Company has these lines of, of of these same dynasties that they expect to recover these seats that their family lost three to four generations ago in the Blackfire rebellions. Of course, Connington immediately grabbed his seat, Griffin's Roost, but there's lesser seats like Crow's Nest of House Morgan and Rain House of House Wild and Mistwood of House Mertens and Estermont, which is you know the Turtle Sigil and Tarth, you know Tarth, and even the Stepstones, which isn't really part of Westeros, but they're Taken in any way, they they want to. They're already expanding King Aegon the Sixth New Kingdom by uh, grabbing parts of the Stepstones because that's where they were deposited by the Volantine ships. So, like any king, even Stannis talks about being open-handed and having to give out these titles once he's taken his throne. And I don't think there's many people in the fandom, and we certainly don't, who think that Fagon will fail to take the throne. He's gonna take the throne almost certainly, holding it for a while. That's where we start to diverge and the different theories start to diverge. Holding it for a little while, yeah, but a long time, probably not. Long enough for it to matter and things to happen, like maybe Westeros, not Westeros, King's Landing getting blown up by wildfire, things like that. That could definitely happen. But before that happens, yeah, they're going to have to reward these loyal swords, these killers with these seats in the Stormlands and perhaps the Reach and other places. Uh, I mean, remember that little conversation we have with, I believe it's Franklin Fowler. He just really wants to kill, is it some Fossaways, I think it is? he wants. There's a lot of these guys that have really bloody revenge planned. They're like minor versions of Daenerys. Every single one of them is like, I want to take back what's mine with fire and blood. They all have a seat they lost four generations ago. Daenerys is a little more recent. They also have it in their history. We have these bloody tales. I mean, you mentioned, you know, this, the you know, I think of the Fowlers, for example, down in Dorne, and I just picture them dropping scorpions, on, you know, onto Lionel <laughs> Tyrell in his bed. Yeah, right. Which is a terrible way to die. For when you have revenge in your mind for that long, when your father wanted revenge and passes down that quest to you and says son you will get this revenge you will take our seat back because his father imparted that in him and his father imparted that in him well that is what we see with Daenerys and Viserys telling her that and imparting that in her all these members of the golden well not all of them some of them are like Black Balak who are part of the golden company without any ties to Westeros but a large number of these Westerosi guys in the golden company maybe as many as half that's eh, probably not even that many but a large number of them have the same revenge quest as Daenerys on a smaller scale, but that's been 
held out for longer. Instead of one generation or two generations, it's three or four or maybe even five in some cases. So they have that same burning desire for revenge. And perhaps that's why Illyrio and Varus thought that this would be a good pairing initially to have the Golden Company come over with Viserys and with, you know, before they even had Daenerys as part of the plan. Who knows, as we're told by a member of the Golden Company, what plan? The plan, the fat man's plan that changes as often as he changes his pants or whatever. The, I'm not quoting it accurately, of course, but that's the sentiment that even the Golden Company is annoyed by how often Varus and Illyrio's plan has changed. And that's because, well... Good plans are able to be adapted, but also George R. R. Martin's a gardener. <laughs> and maybe some of that is because he's changed his mind a little on his own. <laughs> maybe George is meta referring to himself. <laughs> he is, after all, potentially uh, self-referential when he's saying the fat man. He might be talking about himself. I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, this applies to so many other characters. Daenerys is going to have to give out seats if she wins at all. Cersei's been giving out seats to crappy people. <laughs> Uh, Jon Snow will have to give, you know, Stannis. Well, maybe not Jon yet. Maybe that happens later. But Stannis gave, wanted to give a castle to Rattleshirt, right? I mean, Stannis. <laughs> so, yeah, even the best of them give I mean, castles to the worst of them. I like to think this is a little bit like political office. Maybe it's because I've been rewatching Veep, like I said. The, you just, you'd promise it, and you're like, they know I don't actually keep my promises in some <laughs> cases. You know some of them are going to die. Yeah. You just make your promises and help, hope they don't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's like, you, how many different people did you promise that castle to? <laughs> you're like five different lords show up on Highgarden all at the same time, like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> oh, it's my new castle. No, it's my new castle. <laughs> Okay, so, Shay, do we have any questions that I missed that you see? Oh, here's one. At the very bottom. Zachary Sautier, or Sautier, who says, who do you think Varus heard in the fire? Danny? Oh, I never considered it being Danny. No, I don't know that um, it's a specific person. I definitely, it's really interesting, though, the voice in the fire. It's, it's been one of those questions that's been around for so long because this, this scene happened in A Clash of Kings, and it's repeated in the show. So it was it was like one of those days where like like the question we had at the beginning, where if this was a Netflix show, it, w- it that might have gotten breezed past in, in favor of larger plot points. But but that Monday, everyone was like, what was that voice? What are Vars talking about? You know, along with other plot points that got discussed. But. I think it's an interesting possibility to consider Danny, but the, the idea is specifically that he heard Danny saying Dracarys to be clear to everyone. Oh, okay. And specifically, to you, yes. Mm. I don't know. I don't know about that person, but it's been something people have been asking us about after he was killed um, yeah. in the show. The idea that you know he, he saw his, his death, he, he in the flames. He saw he was going to die and heard that one word and it, it was it freaked him out. But then, so he's extra freaked out about dragons, but I don't know if that, I don't know that that works. I don't think it works. Yeah. I, I don't think it does because Varus's memory of it is that the sorcerer called and the voice answered and he didn't, he heard the voice, didn't know what it was saying. And I think Varus would know that word. He, if it was said in high Valyrian, he would know it. He would yeah. know the, the word Dracarys. Yeah. So I'm not sure that works either. And another thing, though, if we want to try to get ourselves uh, acquainted with a similar plot point here, we go to to Miri Mazdur. There were voices coming from the tent as well. And we're sort of led to believe that those voices might be the same. 
or at least they may, they may come from a similar source of some dark god or some otherworldly source that magic translates translates it into speech somehow. But it does argue that the gods or demons or something is real, that these voices are coming from some sort of otherworldly being, some sort of supernatural source that is that has consciousness. Whether that's a god or, you know, the old ones living below Lang, maybe there's, maybe there's is this it's fire just, opens up a portal to some other raven. far city. It's just blood raven. <laughs> it's all blood raven. Yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's all those, you know, last green seers. You want to try to relate the concept to things like prophecies and 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 how the answers they're going to get aren't necessarily clear or uh, certain. And I wonder if George told the showrunners that Varus does capture that sorcerer. It seemed a bit far fetched that he would ever be able to track that guy down. Like, how would he even know who that was? But maybe, and would that guy even still be alive? But maybe he remembers some key details that could help him. Maybe there's a, a detail or two that would make, that would, hey, oh, okay. With that in mind, if Varus knows that, then maybe he can find him. I mean, how many sorcerers do you think there are in certain, you know, cities? But Good depends. point. I he might know. be a famous dude. Yeah. yeah like it, he might be like, oh it's, oh, it's, you know, Valbar the Fabulous. And like, <laughs> they find him. <laughs> Someone needs to, we need a new patron to take the name Zalbar the Fabulous. Uh, so if you're out there, you know, <laughs> sign up at any level, Zalbar the Fabulous. Yeah, um, that's a good, that's a good theory because Varus said the sorcerer didn't just run off. He just put him out, kicked him out of the house. You know, he, he's not like he's so, he, maybe he just knows where the guy lived. Maybe yeah, the guy still yeah, lives yeah there. he hasn't moved. <laughs> yeah, he never thought that this young child would eventually be in a position of power to come after him. Yeah, he was like a kid. Yeah, he's like, I just cut this kid's you know, balls off and shoved him out in the street. Why would I be worried about him coming to get me? Yeah, it's possible. It's interesting. Yeah, because uh, this would have been in, uh, was this been in Mirror or Lease? I guess it would have been in, uh, yeah, one or the other. Yeah, I guess Lease. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely possible. And I wonder if that's going to happen. I, I, I hope we get more info on it. We, we've heard these, these couple of cases of voices from beyond like that. I, I can't think of any others, but there might be another example. It could be like related to Quaith, you know. I, got... I can think of one. What's that? I'm a voice from beyond for all of our YouTube watchers. <laughs> okay, Quaith is Ashea, <laughs> not Shira Sea Star, and of course, Quaith. Danny knows it's Quaith because she can see her through the gl- the glass candle, like gives her an image of her. But it's an example of magic being used, like a voice coming from afar. You know, even if there isn't an, an image from what Varus didn't see any demon or or anything like that, it was only a voice. But the concept is at least somewhat similar. You know, you can see some overlap there. Anyway, I do believe that's it for the questions. That is. That means we're about to wrap up. People have a little bit of a chance, I think, to get in a last super chat or yep. just question period. I will start reading our thanks and patron credits saying adios and giving much appreciation to all y'all for showing up for asking questions for being in the chat for liking and subscribing and telling your friends thank you to anyone who supported the show by giving us a review on itunes slash acast google play soundcloud all the different podcatchers out there certainly thank you to anyone who has provided financial support and thanks as always to ashea who not only ran production uh, expertly as always and it helped with the questions but provided me with a tasty coffee beverage just before we went live 
which uh, of course is valuable fuel. I, I didn't have my Valyrian steel coffee mug, so you know, gotta make do. <laughs> so, well, let's give some thanks. Our peers of the realm include the mysterious BR, Hand of the King, Lord Stephen Stark, titles, 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 Hand of the Queen Shea, who knows the best, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics, Ice and Fire blog, and Warden of the West, Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Oh, I nearly forgot. We're going to be releasing a bonus episode that we did with Lord Jim and Stephen Atwell and um, Lady Gwyn. I think it's already been released on some of their feeds, but we wanted to wait till after the season because content that is not show related during the season tends to get swallowed up on our feed. So we wanted to wait till people could take time to digest it rather than um, having it swallowed up in the storm that is uh, Game of Thrones season. So keep an eye out for that fairly soon. Lord George Torbs of the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen, Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Fleet, Commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet, led by Flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet, led by Flagship Prince Damon. King Beyond the Wall, Sidney Jesse is the Fallborn, Lord of Blue Spring and the Hunted Forest, wields the Dagger of Dragonglass and the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Frost. Our first White Walker patron is First Walker Tanneman, wielder of Blue Sister. He went north of the wall in search of the most refreshing brew where the mountains are always blue. Turned White Walker, but still in search for the elusive Blue Mountains. Can't rest till I complete my quest. The Small Council includes Lord Daniel, the Sneaky Russian, Master of Ships, Grand Master Via James, Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, Master of Laws, Lord Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield, Master of Coin, Lord Johan of House Orcos, called Shadowhawk, is Master of Whispers. Our lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerlids of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone, and Asker of Many Great Questions. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort, the most delicious castle in our false Westeros. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is Leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemi Snuggle Bunny is Guardian Ranger of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, dual wielder of the Valyrian Short Swords Glorious Morning and Little Light Wise, sharpshooter of the Werewood and Ironwood Laminated Longbow Todd Von Oben. The Bastard of the Were Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. Listen for the silence. Lady Liana Kelly of the Wolf of Wolf Island is Protectress of the Steelhold. Casey Stark is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earth Dog Hall, Huntress of the Wolf's Wood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrel's Bane, the Mighty Direweed. Lady Raywin of House Dillsdane is the Star Spear. Peter Rivers, the Pale Dragon, is heir to Blood Raven. Sir Matthew is of the House Begonius. Our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Shady of the your High Council pulled up. I do not have my High Council. We'll do that. Up, I'll, I'll read the King's Guard. Yeah, you read the King's Guard. Our King's Guard is led by Lord Commander Miriam R., backed up by Sir Dolores D., the longest tenured White Sword, Willa Crow's Bane, Guardian of White Tree, First Lady of the Free Folk, Sir Dean the White, Knight of the Black Star, Sir Jord of House Pepsi, the Beverage Knight, Gregor Snow called Snow Bear, a bastard of Winterfell, and Sir Glennon of House Leanne called Lioncloak. 
All right, my Queen's High Council is led by Bloody Ben Black. I don't. I always say led. It's not led. I'm sorry. It has <laughs> Bloody Ben Blackwood, Master of Whispers. It is not led by my Master of Whispers. It's led by me. Uh, <laughs> Rebea Sara is Lady of Waves and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows, we bear our claws. Catrin the Wise of House Trondheim, Master of Coin. Grand Maester Elizabeth, middle daughter of Miana Mormont, first lady to forge both the silver and Valyrian steel link. And Laura Boros, the Lady of Infinity, Master of Laws. I do love that name. It's so funny. <laughs> Laura Boros. I, it only took me a month to come up with it. <laughs> Speaking of names, I'm still behind on nicknames. There's several of y'all waiting for a name. I promise that'll I'll get to you that soon. You can't rush I, I've perfection. I've been saying that. But yeah, sometimes, yeah. You don't want to wait. Uh, you don't want to rush the names because, you know, the longer I take, sometimes we get these really cool ones that we think up among these, uh, you know, moments of inspiration. How about you read your Queen's card, too? Uh, I will, in fact, do that. It is led by Lord Captain Commander Hema Helminth, the self-sword sentinel. With Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Dune, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Alexander must be getting mighty excited as Dune continues production. Oh, yeah. Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North. Michonne the Melodious, Star of Old Town, Minds Over Masters. Sarah Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, First Blood. Sir Leon of House Walker, wielder of the twin Valyrian steel blades, Fire and Ice, and the Werewood Bow Rain. And Amber the Adamant, the Knight of the Mist and Mother of Squids. Also, shout out to Jill Wright, who sent a donation before the show, I forgot to mention. I didn't see a question attached, but thank you for that, Jill. Oh, also a shout out to Brian E., oh. who uh, gave us a super, I mean, gave us a PayPal donation right as we were ending our stream yesterday in our Valerie Rita stream. Oh, right. That's right. And he was expressing his appreciation for the book club reread streams. Cool. Uh, and so, yes, please join us for that yeah. this Sunday. Definitely do. Our, yeah, the book, The Valerie Ritas, returns to Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern. We were supposed to do the first episode Sunday, but YouTube's global outage moved that to Monday. So we'll be back on our normal yet unestablished time because we haven't even had a Sunday at 3-1 yet. But that will be the normal time once we uh, get that going. Okay. Uh, also, thanks to our beard guard, Lord Commander George the Golden, with some good questions today. Backed up by Sir Joshua Oakhart, the White Oak, Lady Rita of the Coppermane, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor. Be seeing you soon, Rita. Sir Jeff, Warden of the AC, Wielder of Triad, the multifaceted beard of Platinum Red and Brown Stay Frosty. Sir Tim Corgile is Mad Boy of the Western Desert. And Queen Helena von Lanstein is partying like it's 1999 since 1980-something. A kingdom for a drink. We also have... Our History of Westeros Night's Watch, which is led by Lord Commander Benji Number, the Silent Giant, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Greatsword Winter's Kiss. First Builder Magor Snow, a.k.a. Magor the Cool, the Fire and the Snow. First Steward Sir Jurian of the Torrentine called Pale Wind. And First Ranger Sir Source Delica of House Gramercy. I want to read a couple other fun names. We've had so many new patrons lately that I want to go ahead and throw out a few fun names. I didn't prepare this, so I'm just going to scroll around and grab a few for fun. So... Welcome to other new patrons, such as, let's see, let me find my spot here. Sir Nicholas of the Notorious of House Z, wielder of twin Valyrian steel blades, the Fangs. Sir Johan of the House Brinjar, sworn to House Stark, as wise as a wolf. Sir Ind of Ka, Lord of Higher Garden, Puff Puff Pass. Lord Francis of House Redcoat, words of wind. 
tree girl of House Glade, we speak for the trees. The gilded needle of House Pink Hall, wear it like armor. Sir William Moss, sword of the mid-afternoon, probably about 3.30. House Nerdling. I love that one. <laughs> That's a really good one. Taco Tom Pike, Bastard of Krakens. Ridiculous Ed Tollett, whose motto is, <sighs> if I must. Also Lady Chelsea, the Blonde Wolf, Mistress of the Western Slope. Also Anna Flaxies, Breaker of the Wine Glasses and Mother of Lulus. Sir Sam of the Rainbow Guard. Lord Stuart of House Lacroix, bringer of rain and master of the darkest knowledge. Lady Grace, protector of the bird nest. That's B-Y-R-D. I believe that's a family name. Mistress Wolf, innkeeper at the smoking log in Wintertown. Nick of the Neck. Prakash, the lord protector of the Gallifreyans. Rika Dawnstar. Uh, Abraham Stark, the ice warrior, let the old gods wake. Sir Henry of House Not Jake. Lady Meg, wild wanderer of the north. Late, uh, Lord Dilly Dilly of House Dillywood, motto we do not dilly dally. Sir Aelin of House Elderon, keeper of the Silent Mountain. Sir Banjo, Knight of the Bluegrass, thumbs aloft. Aaron Dankweed, prophet of the Stone God. Sir Michael, Sir Milady Caves, Lady Erica of the Tidewater, Lady Anna of House Dargan, family is all. And Aaron, Lady of the Long Desert. Oh, and a couple more. The Alchemist, a stranger, no one, truly. Sal of House Catch, ours is the story. Sir Michael of House Night Sky, the sword of the darkness, we don't fear the night. John of Knoxville, Prince of Sunspear. Kimberly, mother of puppies. Be clear, it's Sunspear. Oh, what, oh, I said Sunspear, my bad. Yeah, Prince of Sunspear, because the Knoxville Sunspear. has the Sunspear. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Whoops, good catch there. Thank you, thank you. And last but not least, the mother of Tribbles. And thanks to the rest of you who are Mother unnamed. of Tribbles was very active in our chat tonight. So oh, thanks for I didn't that even too. know that. I also saw John in there and many other names you mentioned. But Cool. Well, I hope you all stay stuck around long enough to hear your names mentioned. If not, well, maybe some other time. And we'll catch you all next time. Hope to see you on Sunday or uh, for Valoritas, Friday for the game streams. If not, we'll see you on Saturday the 22nd when we bring back Sean for another live stream. Good times. Valar rewatches. And Valar rereads.